And, uh, and the first thing we see about, uh, since he's going to come up a few times, I think it's worth sort of noting, the first thing that we see about this centurion Julius is that he seems to be like a pretty decent guy. <laughs> seems, seems to be okay, you know? Um, and, uh, of course, it's possible... You know that that's in his own self-interest, but I, but Luke kind of makes a, a, a point here, and Luke seems to be with them as he says we here. Uh, he seems to make a point to say, you know, uh, he actually went out of his way to do something here. I, I think it would have benefited him to let Paul go and see his friends and, and get what he needed for the journey because that's less that they were going to have to provide. So I think it probably was a mutually beneficial thing there. Uh, but but Luke kind of makes the point uh, that that. Julius did something just out of kindness to Paul. And so that's kind of how this journey begins. Paul is able to see some of uh, people that are close to him. He's able to get uh, some of the things that he needs. And then, um, uh, so in verse 6, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. It says, we made slow headway. That's going to be sort of a theme of this chapter. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Snidus. Uh, when the wind did not allow us to hold our course. So the wind's a real issue here. And so they're sailing and the wind is an issue. It says we sailed to the lee and lee has to do with the wind as well. Uh, it said we sailed to the lee of Crete uh, opposite Salmon. Um, we moved, verse 8, along the coast with difficulty. So the wind is a problem. There's the sailing, but it's been really difficult. And they came to a place called Fairhaven near the town of Lesia. Uh, verse 9, much time had been lost. And, and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. Um, and so when he says much time had been lost, um, I, I don't think the idea there is that they're trying to get Paul to Rome for a court date. <laughs> he is going to uh, have that. He is going to be able to give his testimony to Caesar. Uh, but it's not like the date has been chosen. I think the, what, what's going on here in verse 9 uh, they're on a boat and they have a schedule and they're trying to get to, to Rome at a certain time, really just because there are better and worse times to sail uh, at, in, in that area, especially at that time of the world, but even now. And, uh, and, so, um, and so they're trying to sort of beat the weather, I guess, is what's happening. But the wind is against them, and so they have a really hard start to their journey. And so when it says much time has been lost, that's a problem because of the time of year. You really don't want to lose time because it's going to make the rest of the journey hard. He says it's already after the Day of Atonement. So what that means is it's our Day of Atonement's into September. Okay, and so, um, and so if it's after that, it means we're into October already. And so if we're going into winter, this is going to be a real problem. And so that's sort of just so you can kind of feel like he's on this... You know, it's easy for us to travel today, but it sure wasn't then, right? And so he's on this boat with a lot of prisoners, and they're already dealing with hard weather, and the weather's just going to get worse. Okay, um, verse 10. Uh, men, I... Uh, he, this is so Paul, Paul speaks here in verse 10. He says, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous. Paul says our, our voyage is going to be disastrous. He, he, he knows that. And, and bring great loss to the ship and cargo and to our own lives also. <clears throat> Verse 11, but the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Uh, since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that they should uh, sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete facing both south and north. Uh, was and so um, so their goal isn't even at this point 
uh, is not even to get to Rome uh, before, before the end of the winter. It's just to get to a better harbor. You see, did you hear that? Where, where they got to, they're, they're on land, and that's great. And so the question is, do we move on from here? Uh, but it's not a place where you want to spend the winter. Um, and it's not a place the boat would do, apparently, very well in the winter. And so Paul says, if we move forward, it's going to be disastrous. We're going to lose the ship. We're going to lose crew. We're going to lose cargo. We're going to lose all that stuff. And the centurion uh, listens to who? Listens to the the sailors, <laughs> listens to the pilot. See, I, I think um, again, as, as I'm, we're sort of introduced to this centurion, we don't know a whole lot about him. This Julius, um, I don't, I don't see this as a real flaw for him at this point. You know, it just sort of makes sense. Um, of course, he's been kind to Paul up front, so he's not, he's not just trying to punish Paul or anything like that. But Paul says, I can see this is going to be disastrous. Who does the centurion listen to? The sailors. <laughs> Paul's not a sailor, right? That's not what he does. Uh, so he listens to the owner of the ship, the, the captain, the other sailors, and, and, uh, and he makes a decision based on that. Now, it's going to prove to be the wrong decision, <laughs> but it makes sense, I think, to me why he would make it. Because sometimes, and, and let's just kind of step away here uh, and look at application, because sometimes a, a, a situation presents itself to us, and the option seems obvious, I, again, I think, I think Julius, the centurion, I think he has sort of an obvious situation. Okay, we're in a tight spot here. The weather's not good. The sailors think we can make it, and it's going to be horrible spending the winter here, so we're going to do what the sailors want because that's what they do for a living. That's what they do all day long, every day. We're going to listen to him. Sometimes a decision feels that way, and it seems really obvious uh, by the world's standards. And the Bible is just packed full of stories like this, of examples like this, uh, where common sense, and I don't know how to say it, because I don't want to say logic, but like a human perspective says it's obvious you should do this. It's a no-brainer. You should go this direction. And God says, no, you should go this direction. God, I guess through Paul, is saying this is going to be a disaster. It's not that God set them up for this disaster. I don't think so. I saw how I read this. That guy was setting them up for some kind of uh, some kind of real big problem here on the sea. Through Paul, he says, this is going to be a disaster. You're going to lose the ship. You're going to lose the cargo. You're going to lose the crew. And, and they do what by human standards seems like the obvious thing to do. They listen to sailors instead of listening to Paul, ultimately instead of listening to God. But the Bible is full of those things. And we need to... <laughs> As Christians, as disciples of Jesus, we need to learn uh, from these moments. Sometimes there are going to be decisions that are placed in front of us that seem really obvious. But in following that decision, that human decision, we have to go away that is indirectly opposite of what God would want us to do. Okay, let, I mean, let me just say, we won't look at any of these uh, very long, but I just want to throw a few examples out just to kind of say, it's easy for me to say the Bible's full of it, full, full of it, no, uh, that the Bible is full of these kinds of examples, um, but I want to just kind of illustrate, just put a few of these in your mind. Um, it reminds me of, uh, well, I mean, just like Israel uh, as they leave Egypt. They go to Egypt, and what's the first thing they run into? The Red Sea. The Red Sea. That's kind of a big deal, right? Again, we won't harp on it, but, but I mean, they, they're just like, yay, we're free. Oops. You know, and, and here's the here's the scene, and they're hemmed in, and here's the army of Egypt coming, and it seems like not good planning to me. 
It seems like from a human perspective, it seems like they threw all logic and reason out. They're hemmed in. What were they doing? And even some of the Israelites themselves said, why did you free us from Israel just so we could die in the desert? Right? I mean, that's human thinking. But really what it was was this opportunity for God to display his power for Egypt, for Israel, and for the rest of the world. Of course, we see that the world of that area, the world of that time, man, they, they knew who God was as a result of what God did with Israel in that impossible moment. You say, where are you going to go? Do you, we should go and get hemmed in the Red Sea. It makes no human sense. Logic does not take you in that direction. But that's where God took them that's where and following God that's where God took him because what it proved was God was powerful and it helped him to be known um, I was thinking about Jericho Jericho is another one of those situations they get to Jericho and the plan the military strategy is to walk around the city a bunch and after like seven days blow a trumpet no I mean I there's some bad army leaders out there historically there's some bad generals but no army leader says this is our strategy it doesn't make sense. And I've seen, I've seen over the years, I've heard people try to explain this, like maybe those trumpets were like weapons and this is just like a metaphor. Or, you know, I've actually heard people say that. It's like, you are so missing the whole point of this, aren't you? The point isn't that there was some special weapon that they had that they blew or they're really loud trumpets or the walls, there was a frequency. I, it's not about that. It's about that there's a God who doesn't make sense. He doesn't try to make himself fit into conventional human wisdom. God says go this way and he knows it's going to be a faithful challenge because he knows that our logic and our human reason says no and it just screams why would I go into battle with a trumpet? Are we going to follow him or are we going to follow our human conventional wisdom? Sometimes, I mean sometimes our human wisdom is okay but, but sometimes when it leads directly opposite of the way God is trying to lead us then we have to make a decision. Sometimes those decisions are hard. Of course, Gideon's the same way, right? Gideon, one of my favorites. I've heard people try to justify this one out too. He's got thousands of people to go into battle against these people that are oppressing them. I mean, he's, God's raised up this judge to lead his, this judge who's really kind of scared at first. He raises him up. He's got thousands of people he can bring into battle. And what does God do? He thinks about it. He's like, he's got way too many people. I just don't think, I mean, I don't know, but I don't think army generals, military people say, you know, the problem here is we have too many people. That's the problem. Way too many soldiers. That's the problem. What we need to do is get rid of them. And so he says, anybody who wants to go home, go home. And I've heard that excuse like, well, what he's doing there is he's getting the ones who are really focused. You know what? Even unfocused soldiers. I'll take 2,000 of those. No problem. I'll take thousands of unfocused soldiers rather than going without them, wouldn't you? That's not the point. The point isn't he's really just getting the select crew. No, the point is, and he says what the point is. We won't go there. It's in, it's in Judges chapter 7, verse 2 or 5, uh, where God says, you know, if you go with this many people, you're going to think what? You're going to think you did it. And that's what God wants us to know. That's what God wants us to know. I think that's what the centurion's going to learn here in a second. I think that's what all the sailors and prisoners are going to learn here in a second. Is that God did something. It's the only way. 
Okay, and so, and so they go into battle. Of course, he weeds them out again. And I've heard people say, well, he took the ones who had their eyes up because they were more diligent. No, boy, if you think that, that I think that's way missing the point. God thins it out until there's 300 people. And he sends Gideon and 300 people in against so many soldiers. It's like sands of the, you know, sand on the seashore. He sends 300 people into that camp, in, in, into that battle with, with a pot and a torch, with cookery. <laughs> It's not a military decision. You would never, ever do that. Conventional wisdom says, have a plan, have this, have people, as many people as possible. It goes a completely different direction. But God says to Gideon, go this way. And the question is, in that moment, when God leads you this way, and conventional wisdom says, go this way, which will you do? Okay, uh, we can talk about Noah. We won't, we won't take the time to do it. I, I do want to read one thing here, because this is, um, since we've been in Luke, I want to, Luke's writings, I want to, Read this one example from Luke chapter 5. We've been here, but it's been a couple of years now. <laughs> Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Same thing, but this is with Jesus, so I want to read this one. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him. This is before he had called uh, the disciples. He said, they were crowding around him, listening to the word of God. He saw the water's edge, two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. Uh, He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, that's Peter, and asked him to put out from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out to deep water and let down the nets for catch. Verse 5, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night, haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish, the nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell to his knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm I'm a simple man. Sorry. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so, so were James and John, the sons of, sons of Zebedee, uh, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said, Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up to shore, left everything and followed. Uh, sorry. I never know what I'm going to get emotional when I'm reading something. It just strikes me. Um, but, but do you hear this? And it's the same. It's the same as Gideon. It's the same as Jericho. It's the same as Israel. All those examples that we're talking about. But this is Jesus. And this is, of course, we know Peter. Peter's always been a disciple, right? Now, this is where Peter's called. And, and what were they doing before Jesus went out and talked? They were cleaning the nest. I know we've talked about this before. They were cleaning their nest. They had fished. Who, who were they? What was their business? What did they do? They were fishermen, just like these sailors in Acts, right? They were sailors. You listen to the sailors. Who do you listen to? The, if you're going fishing, you listen to the fishermen, not the rabbi, right? And, and, uh, and so they, they said, they're cleaning their nets, and he says, hey, let's go out and fish. And they say, you know, we have been out all night, and they've already cleaned their nets. And I don't know if there was like that awkward pause, you know, there. That's how I always read it. It is like, hey, let's go out and go fishing. And they're like... We've been out all night and we haven't caught anything. Awkward pause. 
but since you say so, we'll go ahead and do it again, you know? And they go out, and because of this, it has to be miraculous. The fishermen knew what they were doing. Conventional wisdom, human wisdom, knew that they were not going to go out and catch fish. But they did what God wanted them to do, and they went out and caught so many fish that even after they called in the other boat to help, the boats began to sink. It was so many fish. Sometimes... In our lives, we're going to come up to situations. Maybe every week, I don't know, a lot. Sometimes we're going to come into situations and conventional human wisdom is going to say, go this way, obviously. But God says, go this way. And, and so we may say, well, like, how does God tell us? Because God doesn't speak to us directly, like with Gideon and with all the people, that, everybody that we've mentioned. So how does God speak to us? But Paul tells us in Galatians, that we should keep in step with the Spirit. We should keep in step with the Spirit. And he tells us what that looks like. What does it look like? It looks like, what do the fruits of the Spirit look like? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Paul says that's what the Spirit looks like. Keep in step with the Spirit. And so God does still communicate with us, at the very least in that way. And so the world says, you know what? The only way you're going to survive this at work this week is if you lie a lot. Or if you cheat on this. The only way you're going to make it through that school thing is if you cheat this week. That's the only way you're going to do it. And then sort of like human wisdom says, obviously. Right? It's the only way. And you can follow human conventional wisdom. Or you can follow the fruit of that spirit. You can follow God and, and, and choose to make your decisions that are, that are based on those things. Love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and self-control. And you can keep a step with God in that way. But we're going to come to those places. But are we going to follow God even when it seems like there's just a wall in our path? And I know that was a, a lot to say this. But I think this was an opportunity here um, in, uh, in Acts 27. Of course, I, I don't expect that for, Cornel, or for, uh, for Julius who is just now kind of coming face to face with God through Paul in this way to understand that. But as Christians and having been disciples for maybe a long time, I do hope that we can understand that. And so he says, um, and so he goes with the sailors. Of course, that's conventional wisdom. In verse 13, when a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Uh, before long, a wind hurricane force. Understand, the winds have been bad. This is hurricane bad. Okay, uh, It's called a northeastern. Uh, swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the winds. So we gave way to it and were driven. So now this hurricane force winds are just pushing them along. They, just gave, they don't have an option. Um, as they passed the lee uh, of a small island uh, called Kauda, uh, we were hardly able to make a lifeboat secure. They couldn't get out. They had to secure the boat. So the men hoisted it, the boat aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. The ships come in apart because they were afraid they would run aground um, on the sandbars of uh, Sirtis. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ships be driven along. Verse 18, we took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw cargo overboard. What did Paul say was going to happen? You're going to lose the ship. You're going to lose cargo. It's starting to happen. Verse 18, they're, they're desperate. They're throwing their cargo over. You've got to be desperate. Verse 19, on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Uh, it wasn't just, it didn't just fall over. They're throwing stuff off the boat. So to, to lighten it up, verse 20, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, just they're in this hurricane 
for days. Uh, when finally gave, they, it says we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Everybody just gave up. They just were sure. Have you ever been in a situation where you're just like, I'm going to die now? <laughs> that's, that's the state that they were in for, for days, and, and we're going to see weeks here. Um, and, and so... Uh, and so, verse, uh, so I'll read 20 and 21 together. It says, When the sun or stars appeared many days, the storm continued raging. We finally gave up the hope of being saved. Verse 21, After they had gone a long time without food, so they hadn't been eating either, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice. Now, if it ended there, that would be pretty sad. <laughs> and, and the way that comes across, I don't, I don't think is the way Paul means it. It's not the way I would mean it. <laughs> you should have listened to me. I knew. I, you trusted the sailors, but I told you so. Have you ever been like, I told you so, and that was your whole point? <laughs> That's not Paul's whole point. Paul, Paul has to go back to this point uh, so that they'll listen to him. He says, now remember that I told you this was going to happen because now listen to what I'm saying now. You didn't trust me then. Trust me now. Okay, I think it's more the idea here. Um, he says, uh, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But, okay, verse 22, but now I urge you to keep your courage. Why? Because, because not one of you will be lost. Only this ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God to whom I belong and to whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. Now, he's already been told this by Jesus, but he's being comforted, standing by his side. And God has graciously given you, Paul, the lives of all who sail with you. So, verse 25, keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run uh, aground on some island. They didn't listen to Paul before, and you wouldn't expect them to listen to Paul. You expect them to listen to the sailors, but now they have an opportunity. Now they've learned who God Paul, uh, the God of Paul is, and now they have an opportunity to listen to him and gain their courage. Um, so, uh, oops, what verse am I on? <laughs> what? 27? That's where I'm at. Okay, thank you. Uh, on the uh, 14th night, we, will still be dri- uh, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea uh, when about midnight. Man, there's just still 14th night. We're two weeks into this. Can you imagine? What would your mental state be like if you were in this ship that you had to wrap the ropes around just to keep it from falling apart and you're being driven by this kind of hurricane force so much that you're you're so involved in that you can't even eat for two solid weeks that's their situation it says but when uh, about midnight the sailors since they're approaching land 28 they took uh, soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. And fearing they would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors to the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors left, let the lifeboat down in the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the, from the bow. Uh, verse 31, Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes and held the lifeboats and let them drift away. So some of the sailors were like, We're just going to take care of this, and we're going to try to escape. But I guess they weren't very subtle or something because everybody knew what was going on. And Paul says, if they leave, none of you are going to be saved. And so they cut the ropes and they get rid of that boat. 
And uh, you can, uh, boy, uh, you can imagine why they try to escape in that way. Um, he says, uh, boy, I keep losing my place. Uh, okay, verse 33. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. He broke it and began to eat. They're not taking the Lord's Supper. That's just a side note. They're, <laughs> they're just eating together. Verse 36. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, they, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. And when daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move. And the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. It's just, the ship was just crushed. Verse, uh, 42, the soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and then get land. Uh, the rest were to get there, there on planks or other pieces of the ship. And uh, this way, everyone reached land safely. And I just kind of want to read, not interrupt that story. But I guess the thing that I get from the second part of that is, is, is this. Of course, again, the first point there is, is, is sometimes conventional human wisdom tells us to go one way, but we need to follow God, even if it seems like there's a closed door. We have example after example in the Bible that, that says we just need to follow God, even if it goes against what we think is safe and so forth. Uh, the the, uh, the uh, sailors thought it would be safer to escape, but that would have killed all of them, right? And so they cut away and got rid of that ship there. But the, I guess the second point, the last point I just kind of went throughout to you today is... Um, is a little bit harder, I think. Um, last week we talked about this idea that uh, sometimes we make bad decisions and we don't need to dwell on that, but we do need to learn from it and not just learn how to get a, like do bad things better <laughs> you know, next time, but we need to learn the right lessons from those things. Right? That's what we talked about last time. Sometimes we make bad decisions and bad things happen and we need to learn from those things. But I think what I see here in the second part of the story uh, in chapters 27 is sometimes other people make bad decisions and we suffer for it. Have you ever felt that? Has that ever happened to you? Sometimes somebody else's. It's bad enough when I make a bad decision and I dwell on that and it's hard for me to even get over my own decisions. Sometimes somebody else makes a decision and it affects me or it affects you. It's really hard. Isn't that hard to get past? Like you affected my life in this negative way and now I'm suffering as a result of your actions. Now Paul told them before he goes in the storm, he says, this is going to be, those are his words, this is going to be disastrous. And he's a prisoner. They didn't listen to him. They listened to the sailors. And so now here's Paul. Paul is the one to comfort him. Paul is the one to say, don't let them escape or else none of you will make it. Paul is the one uh, to, to come to this. I think sometimes we may get stuck in that place where we say, you should have listened to me. And we don't get past it. There's comfort in that. You ever felt comforted by that? I was right and you were wrong. And there's a small amount of really unhealthy comfort. And it's not healthy comfort. But it kind of feels good for a second. 
But we need to move past that and and, and to live it like Paul did. And and what Paul did instead was he lived by hope. When everybody else was afraid, and this is why I had that section read earlier, again, for like the second or third time from Peter, about not fearing what they fear. See, when when we're struggling and suffering because of our own decisions or maybe because of the decisions of other people, and everybody else is finally in a panic because they realize the trouble that they're in, When we live by faith and we don't fear what they fear and we let our faith shine and our confidence in Christ shine, that is the opportunity for other people to learn that maybe there is a God. That is the opportunity for other people's faith to strengthen. Instead of just kind of holding on to, I was right and you were wrong, let's let our faith shine so that people can see, like in the case of Jericho and with Gideon and with Israel, that there is a God behind us and that's whose faith Uh, that's where our faith lies. And I think we can learn that from Paul's example here in chapter 27.